Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com slash giving. Enjoy the podcast. So this, this week, um, how many of you have had a great moment? Let, just let's just throw it out here. Yesterday, my brother got married. Great moment. Uh, and then immediately followed up by struggling. Uh, we got done with pictures, and I was hungry, and I was mad, okay? So it was like, it was like, great moment, and then, wow, am I struggling. So we go through this whole thing, and my brother got married yesterday, and I'm so excited for them. Um, I've never been on that side of a wedding before. I've always attend, I've attended weddings. I've never been in a wedding that wasn't my own. So that was new for me. I got to uh, hang out and solve problems throughout the day. At one point, uh, one of his groomsmen was signing the globe. They did a globe to sign with gold, like, Sharpie. And it, the ink wasn't coming out, and so his groomsmen, like, shook it. Um, and we were wearing white shirts. And so uh, gold ink all over a groomsman's shirt, day of. Um, so we're, like, putting out fires left and right. Apparently, Trey Henderson is very good with whiteout and dress shirts. So we solved some problems. But after, afterwards, after the reception, and we got done crying during toasts, and um, uh, then we went out and did pictures. We did pictures afterwards so that everyone who attended the, we- or the reception could just kind of eat, hang out, party, and then leave. They didn't have to wait on us. So um, we went out and did pictures afterwards. Well, we got done with our pictures, and... The whole day, I hadn't really eaten a lot. It was like a lot of like finger foods here and there and not really eating much. And so I really, really, really wanted to eat. And I really wanted to sit down and eat. But we didn't really have time for that. We, we needed to come back here and set, set this place back up and the boulevard back up. So um, I was upset. I was like, I really want to just sit down, have a waiter wait on me. I've been doing stuff all day, and it just didn't happen. And I was frustrated. Right after this wonderful moment. Just right after it. And that's exactly where we find Elijah today. So if you've ever experienced that moment, a prophet of God did too. So we pick up where we left off last week. Like They're doing this this huge showdown between uh, the prophets of Baal and Elijah. Uh, This huge showdown. And in the end, God calls down fire from heaven. And if you were here last week, Pastor Steve talked about that. And uh, Yahweh decided that he was going to be, like, show up, and he's the real deal. He's the real God. And Baal, he was absent um, because he's not real. And so in this moment, he, like, succeeds, and all the prophets of Baal die, and there's fire coming down from heaven, which is um, a really a cool moment. But then uh, something happens. Ahab, who's the king of Israel, um, when he got home, he told Jezebel, his wife, the queen, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, meaning the prophets of Baal. One, she's making a very real accusation or a real threat to Elijah. She's like, I'm going to kill you. 
But her threat against herself, if she doesn't follow through, is a little weak. May the gods strike me dead. Well, they're not real. They're not going to strike you dead. But I, I read that, and I was like, that is weird. Like, she's, obviously, she's so committed to this idea that has just been proven wrong. Baal has literally just been proven false, not real, doesn't exist, didn't show up, and she holds to it. I just don't understand why she continues to be like, Baal is the real God and Yahweh isn't true. But I think part of it is that when we look at Jezebel's name, it literally translates, where is the prince? But the implication of that prince is Baal. It's where she came from. Her name defined her. Everything she was was defined by that thing. And so imagine with me if everything you were was defined by something that was literally just proven wrong. Everything that you are has been defined by something that's just been wiped off the planet. And we have two choices in these moments. We have a choice to, we to live with the truth and know that, okay, we were wrong, and I've got to redefine who I am. I've got to change the definition of who I am to match what's happening in reality. Or we live in denial, and that's where Jezebel finds herself. And it's so hard to, to read those words and not go, Jezebel, why aren't you just changing? But we see it all the time in our own lives. We see it all the time. If we're struggling somewhere or if we're, if we're defined by something, it's a lot easier to say to the world, just accept me for who I am. It's way easier to do that than for us to deal with the issues we've just revealed in ourselves. And by contrast, Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh. Everything he is is defined by the living God, the actual God, the God that doesn't fail, the God that doesn't give up, the God who calls down fire from heaven. His name is a direct challenge to Baal. His name, just like what we've seen a couple of weeks ago where God causing the drought to come, that's a direct challenge to Baal because Baal was the God of fertility and water and, and all those things. So that drought directly challenges Baal. Then last week, the altar is covered in water, and the fire of God consumes all of it. That is something that happens. And then now, on top of that, even now in that story, Jezebel's name, literally against Elijah's name, is one against the other, just like all these other examples. He is that challenge. So you'd think... If your name's defined that way, and that you've seen these amazing things happen, you've, you caused drought for two years, and when you prayed, rain showed back up. When you prayed to heaven and, and God poured down fire, that you would think that you'd be like, I'm good. You know, God's got me. Uh, but Elijah reacts in what I like to call a very human way. In verse 3, he says, Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. 
Elijah, the prophet of God, and, 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 and a lot of the thinking with, with the Jewish culture was that Elijah was like one of the top prophets of all time. He's, he's up there. He's like up there with Moses, and, and he's, he's up there. He's one of the top guys. But he is afraid when he has this threat against his life. Not that he hasn't had the threat of it against his life the whole time, but this moment... He has a threat, and he flees. And I think Elijah makes two mistakes here. He makes two mistakes, and we make these mistakes too. We don't trust, or he didn't trust that God's going to look out for him. And when he's in a weak moment, he chooses to go it alone. So we read on in verse 4. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat down under, under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. And this, this complaint echoes what we see from other prophets throughout the Bible. Moses, in almost an identical situation... He's like, these Israelites in the wilderness are just complaining about everything. They're complaining about everything, everything, everything. They're like, we don't want manna anymore. We want meat. And he literally says to God, just kill me now. It seems to be a theme by a few of these prophets. And then we can look later, and, and Jonah's very much the same way. This is for a different reason, though. He's like really upset that the people got saved. As he wanted judgment on them, it was really weird. So if you ever get a chance to read Jonah, make sure you read chapter 4. Most, uh, most people stop after chapter 3. Read chapter 4, it's important. But the, it echoes these prophets. He echoes these prophets. Have you heard the term, what have you done for me lately? You know, I, I, I see this in sports a lot. And I think the best modern example of this in sports is Arsenal Football Club in England. And football, in this instance, means soccer. I'm just translating for you. Um, and we've got a picture. This is Arsene Wenger. He was hired in 19, let's see, 1996. 1996, and took over this London-based football club. In 1998, in 2002, in 2003, and in 2004... He won the title, including that three-peat. He's been their manager for 20 years. He's got four titles, and he's got a ton of FA Cups, but I don't have time to explain that. So um, he's got four titles. And that fourth title, the one in 04, they went through a 38-game season without losing once. No one else has done that in the world. In any top league in the world, nobody's done that. And the next picture is a picture of that team. This team literally did not lose. They did not lose. Let's fast forward 20 years to today. Next picture, Cole. They're cheering for him to go. Fire the guy. He might be the greatest coach of all time. Now, Matt, I know we would have some conversations on that, but um, he might be the greatest coach of all time. His team didn't lose for a 38-game season. 
Brady couldn't even do that. And now people literally have these signs at every home game. Those are the Arsenal fans. Those aren't the other fans. Those are the Arsenal fans. But how many times in our life are we exactly like this? Just like Elijah. He's like, well, yesterday you called down fire from heaven and you burnt up the altar and you killed those prophets. But today someone wants to kill me. What are you going to do for me now? Where's my hope? Just like those fans who have a coach that delivered a perfect season in a three-peat. That's crazy hard. Elijah has a God who rained down fire from heaven and caused a drought and then brought the drought to an end. And he is so, so worried about this threat. Isn't that what we do in our lives, though? We expend a ton of energy on what's, like, good and what's important. And we're, like, striving after, like, the good work that God has called us to do. And we're, like, we're doing this. We're, like, we're, like out volunteering at the rescue mission. Or we're, we're, we're witnessing to our neighbors. We're doing all this stuff. And then we get so tired from all the hard work we're doing that we struggle. We get into a moment where we're, we're hurting and we're, and we're tired, and we, and we just can't do it anymore. I think one of the biggest things he, that Elijah messes up on here is that he goes it alone when he is struggling. In verse 3, it says it just like this. He says, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He decides for whatever reason that I can't go it with my servant. And when you're in a weak moment, don't go it alone. You need somebody who is going to speak truth into your life. You can't forget that God called down fire from heaven. And in whatever situation you're in, know that God saved you from something. If, if you've already found him, if you've already come to faith in Jesus, you know that God has saved you. He's looking out for you. But so much of our faith journey is, God saved me at salvation. But then we forget about that salvation and go, what has God done for me lately? What has he done for me lately? And he goes, I saved you. I did all these things for you. Are you recognizing it? Are you being patient enough to hear the answer to the prayer that you're praying? We have to get around people that we trust and that are trustworthy. Sometimes we trust the wrong people. Sometimes we're putting our trust in people that don't deserve it. But get around people you trust because they'll speak truth to you even when it hurts and they'll speak truth to you when you need it and they'll speak truth into your life. It's another reason why we value uh, Christ First Counseling so much. Actually, you guys lined up so I can just look straight in one direction. Becca and Angelica work at Christ First Counseling. We're putting a new office in Boulevard Campus for them. Um, but if you're struggling with something, go to Christ First Counseling. We want godly people to pour into your life and help you. It's so important. 
It's so important. That's why we love that ministry. We love the work that you guys do. Because it's so important. And then we carry on. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Isn't that amazing? Elijah has had this happen multiple times in his life where God just like delivers him food. He's just like, the ravens did it a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago. We talked about that. The ravens just deliver food to him. And it's so good to know that God is going to look out for us. God is going to be our sustenance. God is going to take care of us. And in that moment where he's tired, he gets rest and he eats. He gets rest and he eats. And then we carry on. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. And we're going to talk about that, that story next week, but it's so important that the angel of the Lord comes and gives him food to eat so that he can go on the journey for 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. God gives you sustenance to go on the journey that he's called you to. He will provide. He will take care of you. It might look different every time. Um, he, get, he came with ravens one time. He, had bread and water appear one time. He had manna fall from heaven one time. But it may look different, but God will provide for you. In this moment, it reminds me of a couple of verses in Mark. Okay, So Mark chapter 2, Jesus' disciples are just like walking on a Sabbath, which is uh, in the Jewish culture would have been Saturday. Um, a Sabbath, they're walking along on Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. So... They were walking along, and they break off heads of grain, and they eat it. And the religious leaders are livid. They are livid. They're upset because what they're doing is they're following the letter of the law and then missing the point of it. They're missing the point of it. So in Mark 2.27, Jesus says this. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, which is a title Jesus gave himself, is Lord even over the Sabbath. What we see here is these religious leaders are like, hey, we need to observe the Sabbath verbatim and miss nothing. But Jesus is pointing out that the Sabbath is actually there to serve the people. It's so we don't run ourselves ragged like Elijah did. We don't run ourselves ragged and, and then miss out on what God actually has for us because we're so tired and we're so beaten up from doing the good work that we're doing. So obviously the Sabbath happened on Saturday. 
And it was a day that God set aside for rest in the law. And this actually mirrors the creation story. If you read that in Genesis, on the seventh day, God rested. And so it mirrors that in the law. But the Hebrew word for Sabbath, and we're going to define this for us, it comes, comes from a root word that actually means to desist, to cease, to leave, to put away, to put down, to cause to rest, to still. And sometimes even when we're trying to rest, we have like technology and entertainment and all sorts of these things that social media that, that drive our time and we forget to rest. I don't know how many times I've laid down to like take a nap. I'm like, I've got an hour. I'm going to take a nap real fast and then I'll, you know, hit the stuff I need to do the rest of the day. And I lay down and I'm like scrolling through Twitter or I'm playing a game on my phone. And what happens? Oh, my nap time's gone. It's gone. Now, some of your kids, they might be okay with that, but I am not. I made poor decisions. Um, but how many times does that happen to us? We're, like, we're laying down and we, and we get distracted. Or like maybe it's, maybe it's at night and Hannah and I just really want to watch one more episode of MasterChef. Just one more episode. But that one episode might cause my next day to be less productive. We need to rest. We need to have time to do that. What's something in your life that you need to put down to get true rest? True rest. Now, I love in music, there's, there's a, a term called rest. It's, it's, a, it's a moment in music where, like, you, you actually heard it in uh, amazing, This is Amazing Grace. Um, in This is Amazing Grace, there's a moment where it goes into the end of the verse. We're, like, playing chords. We're going back and forth. And, and Matt hits this moment on the drums where he just, and everybody goes silent. And then we come back in on the, on the chorus. That moment there is a rest, and it's intentional. It's important because it helps define the song. It actually gives breathing room in between areas so that there's actually a moment where that quietness comes before the joy of the music comes. And in music, that, it's so important. There's so many good moments in music where, like, if you just play that rest the right way, if you intentionally choose silence the right time, it's beautiful and it's good. And it's so important. But refusing to rest on the Sabbath is actually like against the commandment of taking the Sabbath, of keeping a Sabbath. Our, our working constantly is not actually Sabbathing. We're not, we're, not, we're not doing the Sabbath right. If we, if we work seven days and, we're, and we're, we're just dead tired the whole time. And it isn't this, this rigid thing where we have to meet this exact moment, this exact day every time. But the principle that Jesus is out, outlaying in our lives is that we need to rest. We need to have these moments of stillness and quiet to recharge who we are so that like Elijah, we can be prepared for the journey that is to come. I think it's important that when we don't rest even from good work, it's actually a moment of fear and a moment of pride 
Fear believes that God won't accomplish what he said he's going to do. And pride says that God can't accomplish it if I don't work it. And in both scenarios, we're wrong. We have to understand that God will take care of us. How many of you know that, like, if you chose not to sleep, (laughs) you'd be super unproductive at work? Any of you like me, where if you're like, don't sleep, you're like worthless. Not, not, like, not like actually worthless, but you know, you know what I mean. You're like worthless at work, like I'm no good. Um, but if you have a good like eight, if, if you're mat, like 15 hours of sleep, <laughs> that you have, you have, you, you know, you have a productive day. You know, if you're well rested, you show up at work and you're like, man, I'm getting so much done. I find that like nights where I sleep well and then get up early, like I'll show up at work early and I'm like, man, I've got so much done today. But there's times where I'm like, man, I'm just like struggling to get out of bed and then I'm rushing to get to work on time and then I get there and I'm like, man, I have been, I've got nothing done today. Anybody else been in that boat or is it just, yeah, 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 okay. But when we're well rested, we do better. It takes humility to lay down our work. It takes humility to lay down our work. And especially to let someone else help us. Letting somebody help you is okay. Elijah has to learn both of these things. I think it's interesting too that he, he were, eating is an important part of this. Have you ever thought about that? I've been around people who uh, like to skip lunch because there's too much to do. <laughs> that was a little joke for somebody. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, they like to skip, you're like skipping lunch or you're skipping a meal or you're, or you're not eating right or you're not, you're, not, you're not taking care of yourself. And when you do that, you're actually robbing what God has actually laid out for you to do. It's important to rest. It's important to eat. And I think it's, it's so cool that we look at this moment, and it actually has a spiritual and practical application of this, of this scenario where the angel brings water and, and bread to Elijah. It's both spiritual and practical. Practically speaking, you need to eat. It's, it's part of our human biology. It's, it's important that we eat because then it puts us in a place to actually be productive. Me, yesterday, eating was important. <laughs> it was important. Five guys, thank you. Um, but spiritually, it's important to eat. It's important that we are consuming the Word of God, that we're taking it into our lives, that we're digesting that into our lives, because then we can be ready for the journey ahead. So many of us, so many of us, are either snacking on the Word of God or we're abstaining altogether. And neither of those are good. It's got to be a main course. It's got to be a main thing in our lives that we have to know that when we go and we're reading the Bible, we're praying that that is buying in to what God actually has for us. It's telling us that we are aligning our lives with who God is And by doing that, it sets us on a path for health and for productivity. The Bible is just such this great source of 
of just inspiration and of, of joy. Even in some of those hard passages, you see the joy and the goodness of God. I've made a habit of it this year uh, to, to always, in, in one car ride during the day, I have my Bible on and I, I listen to it. That's something for me that has helped change my, my entire habit for the year is that I've, I've consistently one day, one, or one time during each day, listen to the Bible on my drive. And maybe it needs to look differently for you. Maybe it needs to be, I need to get up early in the morning and I need to do my devotions. Or maybe right before bed, uh, that didn't work for me. I, I was like laying in bed trying to read, you know, the Bible plan and you're like falling asleep. I always got like one and a half chapters in and it was done. And so that's not my time. That's not, that's not where I need to read the Bible. But maybe that is for you. Maybe it's on your lunch break. Maybe every day during your lunch break, you take that rest period and, you know, you get, I, I, I used to do it in Wendy's every once in a while when I was working at the state. I would go down to Wendy's, eat lunch, and I'd have my Bible there. But make sure that you're doing it at some point. Read the Bible. It's, it's such this wealth of who God is, and it shows us who we should be. It's so important to digest that word, that, that life-giving word. And if, you, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, and if maybe this is a whole new thing for you, that, the, that Jesus, the Gospels, the Bible, it's all new to you. Know that the Bible is this wealth of truth and knowledge, and it will reveal itself to you. But if you have any questions around, about it, I know there's so many of us around here that would love to talk to you. Um, Aaron, the guy who was leading worship earlier, would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Hannah, who did uh, our offering, would love to talk to you. Uh, we would just love to talk to you about who God is and what Jesus is. Let's pray.